Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 2nd, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unedited, unscripted, and for the time being, uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. Lewis is away this week, so you will be stuck with myself and myself alone. So for those of you in Canada who don't live in the middle of the country, like myself here in Saskatchewan, well, we got some snow today, but it's still warm outside. And I think like everywhere in Canada, as soon as there's a little bit of snow, everybody forgets how to drive. And boy, did I notice that today on my very short commute home even. Uh, was, traffic was even slower than usual in a Saskatoon rush hour. But yes, there was one intersection partially closed off because of a crash. A police car was there and and I almost witnessed a couple of rear-enders in the short 15 minutes, I believe it was, that I drove home. So be careful out there, Canada, in the snow, wherever you are in Canada, because there's a good chance that unless you're in the southern area of British Columbia, you're going to see some snow somewhere, Canada. So welcome. Welcome to Canadian Common Sense. On the show today... All fear Omicron. <laughs> All hail Amita Kuttner. All fail Justin Trudeau. And more. So we're going to start with our good friend Omicron. Well, the name does sound somewhat ominous, hence Omicron. Now, Omicron is the Greek alphabet letter for the latest Wuhan virus mutation, COVID virus, SARS-CoV-2 virus variant. They don't want to call it mutation anymore. I guess that's just not politically correct. And, um, well, you might know by now, I was born before the age of political correctness. Your humble co-host in Saskatchewan is not very politically correct. And I like the name Wuhan virus because that's actually where the virus originated. But we'll get into that shortly. So Omicron is the latest virus that the fear merchants are doing their very best to make you afraid of. And I'm going to start off with a, with a hilarious note. Lewis had shared uh, a Facebook meme from a friend of his on his personal Facebook page which said, and you've probably all heard this already, Canada, that the Omicron is actually an anagram for moronic, if you rearrange the letters. And I thought that was funny. But what's even funnier than Omicron being an anagram for moronic, which it is, that post was fact-checked by Facebook. <laughs> Yes, indeed, Canada. Facebook fact-checked a meme to suggest that Omicron is an anagram for moronic, which is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. Rearrange the letters and you will see for yourself. 
it is so true. But Facebook fact-checked it and said, this post is missing context. <laughs> oh, sometimes these jokes write themselves. Missing context. But it's 100% true. And I don't know what context is missing from simply pointing out an anagram. Maybe the fact checkers just don't have the intellect to understand the nuances and subtleties of the English language. And maybe they don't understand the concept of anagrams. I don't know. Anyway, bunch of morons. Whew, very moronic of them. Oh, <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> All right. So Omicron is our latest. And get this. What they've told us about Omicron is, well, we don't know much about it. So it may be more deadly than, than the Delta mutation, the Indian mutation, the Delta variant. But it may not. And our vaccines that we currently have may or may not be effective against Omicron, but we don't know that yet. But what we do know is you need to be afraid. Very, very, very afraid. Because Omicron, well, it may actually do nothing to you, but it might kill you. So be afraid. And... Well, what do you know? It took Justin almost a month to institute a travel ban against China or on China. It took them a few days to implement a travel ban on Pakistan and India, but it took them no time at all to put a travel ban on 10 African countries and then quickly added Nigeria and Egypt to the mix for this virus that we know nothing about and what we do know about it so far is that eh, it's not that bad so what we do know about it so far is that people in south africa that have had the virus and that's where it was discovered in south africa so we have now a second south african mutation and we found out the people that have been infected with this second south african mutation actually did all right they had some minor symptoms they said they there wasn't any hospitalizations they're okay and the cases in ontario and quebec traced to travelers from nigeria there is a case in alberta as well i don't know the origin of that one but so far we're seeing that maybe maybe they're all right but of course that puts out the call that no, oh, we need to get the whole world vaccinated to make sure that we are all safe. Well, vaccines aren't always the way to go. And you've heard Lewis and I talk ad nauseum about ivermectin. And Lewis did a rant just a couple of days ago about monoclonal antibodies. And it's monoclonal antibodies, actually, that has helped Florida completely push back the Wuhan virus. But... Nobody wants to talk about that because they want you to get your shots. They want you to live in fear. And they want you to wear that mask because that mask is the ultimate visual symbol that you are afraid. They want to keep that mask on you so you can look and you can see everybody 
is afraid. We all live in fear of that virus. And hey, I'm guilty. When I go out, I put a mask on to go shopping because I have to. Um, especially here in Saskatchewan, there is a government mandate. You want to enter public spaces, you've got to put on that face diaper. So as much as I don't like it, I do it. And the second I get out of those buildings, off goes that mask. I take a deep breath of sweet, delicious, sweet smelling freedom and then get in my vehicle and go home. So I guess I'm partly to blame because I'm, I'm putting the face diaper on to go into the store because that's what I've been asked to do. And I, I do need to get groceries. So what can I say? Now, here's another thing about Omicron. I really hate using Greek, the Greek alphabet to, to name viruses when, you know, these mutations to, to, used to be up until the Wuhan virus. We used to just name them for their, their origins, their country of origin, their region of origin for that matter. I mean, the Zika forest in Brazil, for example, we got Zika virus, West Nile virus. That's pretty obvious where that came from. Ebola for the Ebola River in Zaire, where it was discovered. Lyme disease, you know, for the town of Lyme, Connecticut in the United States, where it was first noticed. But no, no, when it comes to the Wuhan virus, well, we didn't want to offend China. So suddenly now it's, it's, it's COVID-19. And uh, I think it's hilarious how there are still some political leaders and I'm actually making fun of Scott Moe right now because he still very deliberately calls it COVID-19 as, as if he's reading from a script every time and it's new to him. It's COVID-19. And it's almost like he's voice dubbing himself every single time he, he talks about it. And yes, I'm getting used to calling it COVID, unfortunately, but it is the Wuhan virus. But we did not call it the Wuhan virus because the WHO, who is in the back pocket of the Chinese Communist Party, said, oh, we don't want to offend China. We don't want the world to blame China. So we're, we're, we're going to call it COVID-19. And Omicron, <clears throat> I keep coming back to this, actually skipped a letter in the Greek alphabet. They skipped the letter Xi. Xi, of course, is spelled X-I in the, the Greek alphabet. And XI, of course, is the last name of Chairman Xi of the Chinese Communist Party. And so the WHO said, no, we're going to skip Xi and we're going to go straight to Omicron because, again, well, we don't want to stigmatize any world leaders or any particular country in the world. It's what we do. That's how we name viruses. We name them for where they came from. And to name a strain after any alphabetical letters is kind of asinine in the first place, which leads us to run into, well, this problem right here. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's a name. Xi is the last name of the leader of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, let's just say the next letter in the Greek alphabet was Trump. Would Anybody at the WHO have batted an eye about calling it the Trump strain or the Trump mutation or the Trump variant? No, they would they would relish in that. That probably would have been the first one they would have picked. 
that, oh no, we don't want to offend the Chinese Communist Party, so no, we don't want to say this is the Xi strain or the Xi variant. Give me a break, folks. I, I Like I told you, I, I come from an age before political correctness, and I thank God for that, and I'm not even using his name in vain. I'm really tired of tiptoeing around China when it comes to their virus. And and the Wuhan virus is their virus. It came out of their goddamn lab in Wuhan. And we know it came out of a lab. There's enough evidence that points to it. The double arginine CGG CGG strain, which is not found in nature, which had to have been inserted in a lab, and which is part of the of, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, tells us right there that it was made in a lab. The Anthony Fauci emails, which tell us that gain-of-function research was being conducted on that very virus, paid for by, well, the National Institute of Health in the United States, with, of course, funding support from, well, Fauci's boss himself in the, in the CDC. So an eco-health alliance, of course, with Peter Daszak. So yes, it's got some American fingerprints on it, but it's a Chinese virus. It was, it was researched and altered in a Chinese lab in Wuhan. So you know what? If you want to start calling it COVID and start calling these strains after Greek letters, wear it, G. It's your virus. And I'm so goddamn sick of trying to kowtow and pander to China all the time. Or to anybody, for that matter. We don't need to change the whole way we talk about viruses just so we don't offend somebody. It's absolutely ridiculous. And what's even more ridiculous is the government's overreaction and i get it they want to keep canadians safe okay fine but the travel ban has been implemented and now all travelers to canada including canadian citizens who want to come home well the rules have changed for you all of a sudden hopefully you don't have travel plans canada because now you have to have a pcr test in whichever country you're flying out from unless it's one of the banned countries because from if that's the case, you have to fly from the banned country to some third country, like a country in Europe, for example, and get a PCR test there, and then make certain that's positive. Oh, by the way, you, the traveler, has to pay for that PCR test. Remember we discussed there a couple hundred bucks? Yeah. So pay your couple hundred bucks for a PCR test there, fly into Canada, and then you got to pay for a PCR test here when you arrive in Canada. And then you have to pay for your own accommodation to quarantine while waiting for the results of said PCR test. And then have your quarantine plan in place in case you're, te you're test positive. And I believe even if you test negative, they still want you to quarantine. So, <clears throat> again... With the control factor, and we've discussed this ad nauseum as well, this this virus is, seems to be more about control than it really is about health. And it's really getting ridiculous. And now U.S. travelers are exempt from this 
although U.S. travelers must be fully vaccinated or they're not allowed to come into Canada. But at least as of right now, they don't have to do the PCR test. Canadians, however, and this is hilarious, and I think that the U.S. government has actually just changed the 72-hour rule to 24 hours now, that you need to have a positive PCR test within 24 hours uh, to get into the United States. But if you're a Canadian who's going to go across for a little cross-border shopping, the 72-hour rule still exists. And you can get a PCR test here in Canada. Say you're in uh, Aldergrove, British Columbia, for example. You get your PCR test. You go across the border into Washington State, do a little shopping for the day, and then come on back. Show them the, the people at CBSA your PCR test from Aldergrove, Canada, and you're fine. You're good to go. And Lewis brought this up on our last show and a couple of shows previous. Isn't the whole idea to guard against you catching the Wuhan virus in the States? But no, oh no, no, our government and all their infinite wisdom says, no, no, to make it easy for everybody, let's just test before you go. So even if you do catch it over there while you're cross-border shopping, I guess it's just not effective within the first 72 hours. Maybe it kills itself off. Oh, well, then why are we getting vaccinated? Right. We did talk about control, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I hope none of you are traveling in Canada because it's just getting absolutely ridiculous. Well, it is still ridiculous. And you know what? I am... Um, I, for one, am just sick to death of, well, I'm sick to death of, of COVID, period. I'm sick to death of all these different government heavy-handed restrictions they keep placing on us. I'm sick to death of having to put a face diaper on to walk around inside a store. I'm sick to death of having to flash vaccine cards around when it's nobody's goddamn business but my own and my doctor's. And I'm just tired of it all. And, and I think a lot of you are too. It's a real shame that we continue to elect the same kind of heavy-handed government that loves control. <sighs> anyway, moving on. I've taken too much time on this one already. My apologies. <clears throat> but I tell you, if we ever meet any of our lovely listeners out there in Canadian common sense land, I'll be the first guy offering free hugs because, boy, am I ever tired of this BS the, of social distancing and all the other garbage that we keep getting put through. But anyway, huh, what a good segue. Speaking of garbage, the Green Party of Canada has a new interim leader. And yes, that's an insult to the Green Party, but it's also an insult to garbage because the Green Party, with their whopping caucus of two people, I have to laugh. They consider themselves a, a, quote, major Canadian political party. Well, they had fewer candidates in the 2021 election than the People's Party of Canada. Granted, yes, they elected two MPs. The People's Party of Canada elected none. But the People's Party of Canada got more than double, or about double anyway, the votes that the Green Party of Canada got. In fact, they was, it, was, it was more than double. But regardless, the, this uh, major Canadian political party, the Green Party, has a new leader. And 
I discussed this with Lewis a couple of days ago that at this point in time, I think it's just publicity. They're, these are just PR stunts that the Green Party is doing now. I mean, Annamie Paul, of course, was the first black female leader of a major Canadian political party and the first Jewish leader of a major political party. And, of course, we said, okay, great. I mean, obviously not the first female leader of a political party because we've had, the NDP has had a couple of conservative Progressive Conservatives had, had Kim Campbell. But Annamie Paul, of course, was treated absolutely horribly by the Green Party. And she suggested it was possibly racist, possibly anti-Semitic, possibly misogynist, anti-women. It could very well have been all of those things. I know she certainly was thrown under the bus by her party and did not receive a lot of party support in her, her bid in the 2021 election. But now, now that, uh, that Annamie Paul has, has left the scene, enter Amita Kuttner. Now, if that name doesn't just automatically spring into your mind with familiarity, well, you're forgiven. I had no idea who Amita Kuttner was either. But in the name of public relations, PR stunts, uh, really, that's all it is, is a PR stunt, in my opinion. Amita Kuttner is the youngest political party leader of a major political party. <laughs> uh, major political party with two MPs. Um, at 30 years old, I, I, would, I can't say he or she. I'll say Amita Kuttner is the youngest leader. And... You're going to have to help me out with this one, Canada. Amita Kuttner is also the first transgender, non-binary leader of a major Canadian political party. Now, here's where I need your help. Because if you're transgender, doesn't that mean you've switched from one to the next? And if you're non-binary, to me, that just says you're neither. So you're kind of in between. Now, by the looks and the sound of Amita Kuttner, it sounds like that person was once a woman and then became, well, if they're transgender, I guess became a man and then decided to be non-binary. I, I don't get it. And I realize I'm going to offend all of our transgender non-binary listeners right now by with my complete ignorance on the subject and yes i am being being facetious here i saw a picture of the green party's new interim leader with the entire caucus those two mps and amita was wearing a tie shirt and tie short hair so i ask myself, well, perhaps leaning towards the male end of the spectrum or just not wanting to look female, I guess. I don't know. I'm really kind of confused how on the whole transgender and non-binary. And oh yes, the, the first East Asian leader of a federal, major federal political party. So we have our first black female Jewish leader of a political party, followed by the first 
transgender, non-binary, East Asian, youngest leader of a major political party. I think the Green Party should just go away already. I mean, they're already irrelevant because, as Lewis pointed out on a previous show, every other major political party in Canada has become green anyway. So there is really no longer a need for a Green Party of Canada. So maybe they should just ditch the ego and call it a success that everybody else suddenly thinks it's cool to be green. Then they wouldn't have to pull these these publicity stunts about having the youngest and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what's the next first going to be? How are they going to one-up themselves after this? That's what I want to know. But I mean, if they're a member-driven party and their members decided that they absolutely hated Annamie Paul and completely pulled the rug out from under her, how are they going to be treating somebody who's asked for their pronouns to be they and them so we don't know if we're supposed to call them Mr., Miss, how to refer to them by title. No idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, anyway, enough about the Environmentalist Party. Let's go on to the environment itself. British Columbia. Now, I don't suppose it's not really the environment necessarily, but... We have shared a video on our Canadian Common Sense Facebook page of salmon swimming on the streets of Surrey, B.C., because the river had overflowed and was on was flooding some streets, and there were salmon f flipping around, swimming. Great, they're migrating, doing their thing. Why the reason I bring that up is because the story attached to it also talked about uh, the next atmospheric river to be flowing over top of British Columbia. Now, I love all these new terminologies they like to bring out for these things. See, back when I was younger, and I just turned 50 recently, so I've been around the block a few times. But when I was younger, we would call it a torrential downpour. We would say there's torrential rains and more rains to come. There was no atmospheric rivers back in those days. There was certainly more floods and more weather events. And yes, that's actually true. I know you. They, I know that uh, our friends at Facebook would likely fact check me if they listen to our show and say that, well, that's missing context. Just because there actually was more weather events back when you were younger doesn't mean that they were reported on as ad nauseum like they are now. Well, yeah, because now they're constantly being reported on. So people actually believe that they're happening more and more frequently. But they're not. And fewer and fewer people, thank God, are dying from these weather events. So, allegedly there is more rain coming to British Columbia. And thank God the Canadian Armed Forces is in there trying to reinforce dikes. They have now moved a little further inland to Princeton, British Columbia, to help out there. And I believe they're coming. the Army is going to other communities as well. And they're still in Abbotsford. That's where... Uh, that's where there's they're in most need right now. And who else came to Abbotsford but Justin Trudeau? So I actually have to give him credit because on our last show, we had, we had mocked him for not going to British Columbia. And we had suggested that maybe he'd show up when he was time to go surfing again or skiing in Whistler, perhaps. But to his credit, he finally came to B.C., 
he finally came out and he spoke to some local politicians, mayors, councillors and whatnot, and took a flyover in a helicopter to survey some of the damage. And to the credit of, it's actually just the fine workers in, in British Columbia, they've managed to reopen two of the highways that go through the interior already for essential traffic only. And I, so I still don't know what that means other than I'm guessing for would be freight and services, but good. So at least they're getting some highways opened up and CP rail has relayed some railway tracks. So fantastic. Things are getting going in British Columbia. But what else has come to BC? And I lay this at Trudeau's feet as well. Some more softwood lumber tariffs. Now, this hits BC the hardest. New Brunswick also has a softwood lumber industry. But the softwood lumber tariffs have now doubled to 17% because the Americans, and they lose every single time at the WTO, but they again, and we just talked about this in our last show, that Americans are free traders when it comes to their own goods, just not to anybody else's. So now the claim is, oh, because there's the trees are cut on crown lands, that counts as a subsidy, and we need to increase the tariffs so that our American producers can compete. One of the most bogus arguments ever because in the United States, they don't have enough domestic lumber to meet their needs. So they have to import Canadian lumber, or I guess from anywhere. But I mean, Canada is the country of choice because, well, we have it. So all this does is now makes American lumber products and housing more expensive, as well as damaging the Canadian softwood lumber industry. So we're going to go through this song and dance yet again. And of course... The talk was, well, it was just talk from Trudeau again. Well, we're going to see what our options are and we will, we will, you know, possibly, re, you know, take retaliatory actions if necessary. Well, it is necessary, dumbass. But of course, last time this happened, the retaliatory measures were, oh, we're going to put tariffs on the, the price of, of Tennessee whiskey and a bunch of other products that were sort of aimed at certain individual states. Well, that sure showed them. Those Americans were quivering in their boots. Oh my God, Canada's put a tariff on whiskey. Oh man, what are we going to do? Ridiculous. Now, also, thanks to our Prime Minister, who continues to think the Canadians' only concerns are climate change and gender. Well, as it turns out, just inflation has become a hashtag. And Pierre Polyev had very brilliantly published a video of a speech in the House of Commons that he did. He said it's, you know, it's just inflation. And it's great that he's attached the Prime Minister's name to it. It has become a hashtag. It is trending. And inflation and cost of living. And thank God the Conservatives actually picked up on that. That is actually what Canadians are talking about. That is actually what concerns Canadians is the cost of living. 
you've heard us say on this show many times that half of Canadians are within $200 of not being able to pay their bills. And that was pre-pandemic, so I know that number is higher now. And it's different depending where in the country you live as far as what commodities are spiking up the most. Now, gasoline, well, that, that's, that's spiked up everywhere in the country. So we're all affected by that 30% increase year over year. In my local area here in Saskatchewan, because I'm out in agriculture country, we aren't seeing as big a hit in food prices as far as our meat is concerned. It's up, not but not up to the same degree as, say, in the Okanagan, when Lewis was saying that a six-pack of chicken breasts was almost something you'd qualify for a bank loan for these days. But we are seeing our produce, cost of produce is up. Our cost of meat products is up. And our home heating is going to be way up with a 100% increase in natural gas prices. But it's really funny that the, the federal government all, all they talk about when we say, and they've even been asked by reporters, okay, so what are you doing to fight inflation? What are you doing to make life affordable for Canadians? The Liberals, all they want to talk about is, well, we've made childcare more affordable five years from now. Because that's when it's going to happen. It's five years from now. And I know Justin Trudeau says, oh, no, by January 1st, we're going to see movement on that. Well, the funding models you have set up in your deals with the provinces take effect five years from now and that actually makes sense because you don't just create daycare spaces overnight and you and i all get that canada but the morons in ottawa well they're morons it's just that simple they're absolute morons i mean our our lives are just basically unaffordable i mean housing prices are continuing to go up in fact housing prices have gone up I want to say it's minimum 30% since Justin Trudeau has taken office. And that's just off the top of my head. The number might even be higher because I did read it in an article not very long ago. But as we told you before, we read so many articles and listen to so many different newscasts to bring you the content we bring you that sometimes they kind of blur together. Now, I'd mentioned Ottawa being clueless. Now, on there is CPAC, the Canadian Parliamentary Access Channel, has a show that I listen to, and Peter Van Dusen, who's uh, an executive producer there, said something that really ticked me off, and it should probably demonstrate for you exactly how out of touch these elitists in the Ottawa bubble are. Um, discussing the cost of living and whatnot, Mr. Van Dusen said, and I'm going to quote him, well, Canada's measures to combat climate change may make some Canadians uncomfortable. May make some Canadians uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess in Ottawa, where it's really cold, maybe you can afford just to crank your furnace up, but the senior citizen living just down the street from you can only put on so many sweaters and toques before they have to try and turn the heat up that they can't afford to turn up jackass and not everybody can just jump on public transit to get where they want to go and depending where you live your transit system might very well suck it certainly does in my area 
And I remember living in Edmonton and at least 20 years ago when I was in Edmonton, the transit system wasn't a lot of fun to operate there either. And I'm sure it's gotten better since then, but public transit is not always a good option for people. Taxi cabs are expensive and they're not all that reliable either. So how about stuff it, Mr. Van Dusen? How about you just stuff it? <clears throat> Sorry, pardon me. Now, a little surprise in Ottawa today, and I'm going to wrap the show up with this one. I'm surprised at how this all played out. And I guess I'll just tell you the story first and I'll throw my opinion afterward. So in the House of Commons yesterday, there was a a bill put forward, and this is the, the third time now. The first time it was put forward, this was a bill to ban conversion therapy. Now, the first time it was put put, put forward, it died on the order paper because Justin Trudeau prorogued Parliament to get out from under the Wee scandal. Now, I know you'll remember the Wee scandal. I know you'll remember him proroguing Parliament to shut down all the committees that were investigating him. And when you prorogue Parliament, any pending legislation immediately dies and has to be reintroduced in the next Parliament. Well, in the next Parliament, when, well, when it came back from, from prorogation, the bill was introduced again. And it ended up dying in the Senate because Justin Trudeau called the most important election in Canada since World War II. That was this past election in September. The election so important that, well, he, Parliament didn't resume for a full two months after said election because it was just that important. But anyway, so now, third time's a charm. Yesterday in the House of Commons, the ban on conversion therapy bill comes up again and a conservative MP stands up and says, let's just get this done. You have our unanimous support. And the House of Commons, every MP unanimously voted to move the ban on conversion therapy bill onto the Senate, make it become law. Now, I don't know a lot about conversion therapy. I, from what I'm told and what I've read, conversion therapy is something that applies to the LGBT community to try to, I guess, convert them from being gay to being straight, as it were. And I know I'm very much oversimplifying it, but at any rate, such activities will now be considered illegal should this bill go through the Senate and receive royal, royal assent, that is. And, you know, providing that Justin Trudeau doesn't decide to prorogue Parliament for whatever reason or call yet another vanity election, this bill should go through. What is a little questionable to me about this is that in the last Parliament... 62 Conservative MPs actually voted against that ban, which leads me to ask myself, how did all 62 of them change their mind this time around? So that suddenly now they're all in favor of the ban. All of us, arm in arm, lockstep, happily against that, that ban. 
Well, it tells me that Aaron O'Toole has indeed asserted control over his party, and he has obviously firmed up his grip and told his MPs, you will vote the way I'm telling you to vote, and you will like it. The Smales Exhortation. Those of you who listen to Dan Bongino will know what I'm talking about. It's Judge Smales from Caddyshack. You'll get nothing, and you'll like it. Well, that's, I guess, what Aaron O'Toole said to his MPs. Um, 13 of the 14 MPs from Saskatchewan voted against that ban in the last parliament, and they, all 14 this time, voted in favor. Now, I like I say, I don't know much about the conversion therapy. I know even less about this bill, but it sounds like a good thing. I'm I'm thinking I should I would I would say it would be good, but the fact that it got unanimous support from sixty two conservatives who had previously voted against it, half of the conservative caucus, but Aaron O'Toole was not among them. Aaron O'Toole voted for it, so voted for the ban. That is, so I guess maybe that means Aaron O'Toole has uh, tightened the reins up and wants to make it his party. So, of course, our lapdogs in the media have said, oh, well, that, you know, this is a good thing, and it, uh, that's one more issue now that, that won't dog the conservatives, and it shows how they're becoming more progressive. I'm just going to throw that out there. I know that it used to be called the Progressive Conservative Party back in the day, and there's still Progressive Conservative Parties provincially, but the two terms are not compatible in my opinion. I find it very difficult for conservatives to be considered progressive because, well, in the modern terminology, because in the modern lexicon, progressive is just another word for leftists. And... Conservatives, by their very nature, are not leftists. So I guess what Aaron O'Toole has succeeded in doing is pulling the Conservative Party, all of the Conservative Party, further to the left with him. In fact, I got a fundraising text from them the other day. They're called, now they call themselves Canada's Conservatives. Well, I replied to that text by saying, don't don't bother me until you start actually acting like conservatives. And they certainly don't seem to be acting like a very conservative party. But I guess we we get what we get because Aaron O'Toole showed us his true colors in the 2021 election. And I guess a lot of people who were conservatives just decided to overlook it and look at the name conservative, even though it was conservative in name only. All right, I'm going to leave it there, Canada. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and we look forward to having Lewis back soon. But until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan, and we will talk again soon. Good night, Canada. Tony.